restores and strengthens His church is, is a cool thing to watch. It's encouraging for me as a pastor to see, to be reminded of God's love for His church. Um, there, there was a time, not, not even that long ago, I don't know how f- long ago, five years, ten years, twenty years, when there was uh, some social and political, maybe even uh, to some degree some financial benefit to going to church. There was value to just being here. Like there was no way that you were going to be elected to any political office unless there was at least a few PR shots of you walking out of a church with a Bible in your hand. You just don't even run for office unless you've got those. And, and then there were those who saw like the church as a place to make business contacts and to connect and, and to some extent it was just, it was just the, the decent American thing to do. It was just a part of our American heritage and culture. You just, you just went to church. And, and, it, and it really didn't matter. Like you could be the slimiest politician or, or a smarmy salesman and total wretch the rest of the week. But if you went to church, there was at least some legitimacy th- that you'd gain from it. It was, it was like an image thing. But I don't think that that exists anymore. I think now you've got politicians who try and distance themselves from any kind of, of dogma or belief system that someone might find offensive. There's no real social or cultural equity to be gained by attending church anymore. In fact, it might be, might be the opposite. People might look down on you to some degree. There's been a lot written in the last few years about, about the decline in attendance in churches and a lot of hand-wringing to try and figure out why that's the case. I think part of the reason is simply because fewer and fewer people who used to go to church just because there was value in it to them or because it was the culturally acceptable thing to do are, are doing that anymore. It's, it's not a thing. And more and more, the people who do go to church are going because they really believe in Jesus. That's the only real reason that they're attending. They're not looking to gain anything else. My guess is that most of you that are here today are here out of a genuine love and devotion to God. You're not here to gain anything, to take anything, other than other than the, the blessing that comes from spending time worshiping God and learning more about Him. You're here just to give God the worship and praise He deserves and to learn more about Him and to dig in deeper. You're here because you, you really, truly believe. Amen? Right? It's important for us, though, on a, on a regular basis to check our motives Make sure that we're not here for some sort of personal financial gain or to acquire some kind of power or control or authority or for any other selfish reasons. Because there's this long history of people who've had the wrong view of church and the wrong view of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the passage that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 8 is an example of that. Probably one of the earliest accounts of a guy who totally didn't understand Christianity at all. Didn't understand the, the whole power of the Holy Spirit and how all that worked. And, and here in, in this section, Luke really highlights the difference 
between a right, healthy, godly view of, of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit and, and a selfish, wrong, twisted, even blasphemous view of the church and the Holy Spirit. Uh, follow along as I read chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. If you remember uh, where we left off last week, uh, Stephen had just preached this lengthy sermon and it made the Jewish leaders really, really mad and they drug him out of town and stoned him to death. We read that, that Saul, a Pharisee, was standing there as the coat check boy while they were stoning him to death. Chapter 8 here picks right up from where that left off. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So right after Stephen, we read that there's this outbreak of persecution against those who claim to be Christians. And Paul or Saul is right there at the heart of that. And the effects are people scatter. Jerusalem isn't safe anymore, so they go to places where they aren't going to be put in prison. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, uh, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. In the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. There was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. They were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray 
the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. The Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Uh, this, this dude, Simon, that we read about here in eight is an interesting guy. I, I think he's a total example of the wrong view of the work of the Holy Spirit. But he, he seems genuine, right? I mean, it says that he believes, he gets baptized, follows Philip around, watches all the different miracles that are happening. And we, and we read here that through the preaching of Philip, Tons of Samaritans are getting saved. It says though that even though they're, they're believing and getting baptized, they're not yet uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. And we know from what Paul has to say in like Ephesians 1 and, and Romans 8, other places, that the gift of the Holy Spirit of God is given to the believer at the point of conversion. The moment that we're saved, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. So the question that you got to ask as you're reading this is why then do the apostles have to come down and lay their hands on these guys before they receive the Holy Spirit? I think this is one of those places in scriptures that we've talked about before in Acts uh, that there's a difference between descriptive and prescriptive, right? Descriptive is simply a passage of scripture that's describing something that took place at some point in redemptive history. And prescriptive is a passage that's telling you something you're supposed to do. It's giving you instructions. And if we read a descriptive passage as though it was prescriptive, we get confused and we end up with bad theology and weird church practices. There are some churches that still teach that this is prescriptive. That in order to really receive the Holy Spirit of God, it takes some sort of secondary event. Like someone has to come and, and lay hands on you. And you have to evidence the Holy Spirit through something, through speaking of tongues or, or some kind of thing. But again, that, that doesn't jive with what Paul teaches in his epistles or even what we see with other conversion experiences in the book of Acts. So again, why did it take Peter and John to come and bless them before the Spirit is given? Uh, this is one of those questions that's on my list of questions to ask God when I get to heaven. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think the reason really had to do with, uh, with the nature of who the Samaritans were. Samaritans were kind of like, like a half-breed Jew. Like they weren't, they, they weren't uh, fully Jewish. They were, uh, they traced their heritage back to the same uh, God of Abraham, uh, but they'd been drug off into exile and developed all these weird customs and habits. Uh, they discounted much of the Old Testament and, and what it had to say. They had a, a different temple that they worshipped in. There was just a difference between the, the Samaritans and, and the Jews. And I think what's happening here is God making total, like complete, making it perfectly crystal clear that salvation is through Jesus Christ who came uh, through the Jews. He wanted to make sure that everybody understood that there wasn't these two different groups anymore, that they were all one, united 
Jew and Samaritan all united in Jesus Christ. The Samaritans being saved was was a big deal. It was kind of shocking to the Jewish people that there was this this connection now, this unity now. Because up to this point, uh, in, in Acts... Like the Holy Spirit's salvation is just coming to the Jews, right? So, but now Samaritans even, man, that's crazy. What's next? Gentiles, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Peter and John, they come and they lay their hands on these faithful Samaritan believers and they receive the Holy Spirit of God and it's powerful and it's noticeable and it's amazing. And this guy, Simon, sees it and he's astonished by it. And he says, I, I want it. I want that kind of power. And so Simon offers uh, Peter and John money. says, give me this ability. I want to be able to do the same kind of magic trick that you guys are doing here. I want to be able to bestow the Holy Spirit on people that I put my hands on. But the Holy Spirit is not a magic trick, right? (laughs) Spirit doesn't work through sleight of hand. That's not what's happening here, Simon. I think the whole reason that Simon is spending so much time hanging out with Philip is to learn the the gag, right? It's to learn his tricks. It's to try and figure out how he's doing it so that he can do it. It says says in the text that, that Simon is performing magic and claiming to be great. And he comes across the power that's even greater, even more impressive. And he wants it. Because he knows that sleight of hand tricks impress people. And when you couple that with religion, you can control people. And, and that's, this is still a thing, right? There are still people who have discovered that that's still the case. That's still true. There are still people who use trickery to impress other people and, and, and want to attribute it to the work of God. What, like, look at what was Simon's show name? Verse 10, it says he was called the great power of God. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess that he gave himself that stage name. <laughs> Magic tricks and theatrics, like sh- showy performances, have the ability to get people emotionally charged and excited. But just because someone says that they are the great power of God doesn't mean that they are. And the Holy Spirit is not like this parlor trick. Simon's motive for claiming to be a Christian and for following Philip and for offering to pay for the Holy Spirit is clear in in this passage. It is all for personal gain. But that, that is not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in order to financially benefit us. He's not some sort of energy force that we use and manipulate for our own purposes. Look at what Peter says to him. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. 
Peter just sees, he sees right through this guy. I mean, just like he did with Ananias and Sapphira. He's right through him to their heart. Plainly tells them that he has absolutely no part in anything that we're doing here. But, but Simon said that he believed in Jesus, right? He's even been baptized. He's done all the right things. He prayed the sinner's prayer. Uh, he walked forward at the altar call. He did everything that you're supposed to do. Now Simon here might be the first guy that we come across in the Bible who joins the church simply for what he thought he could gain from it. Uh, he's definitely not the last. It's, it's possible to say the right things, even go through the right motions, and have totally wrong motives. What Peter calls Simon out on is having a heart that is not right. Simon's example here of, of trying to misuse the Spirit of God for personal gain, it really it highlights everything that's dangerous and wrong with the health and wealth gospel that's out there. There are entire church leaders who are looking for personal gain and who are offering financial and physical benefits to people who follow them. Not, not only fostering, but encouraging people to be selfish and to selfishly use God for their own personal gain. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. That's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit given to us. And the result of, of that kind of mentality or attitude where we come to God seeking some sort of personal benefit, the result is often the same as what was the case with Simon. Bitterness and sin. And Peter says to him, I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity, which are harsh words. They're strong like, like Old Testament level words. Selfishness and greed and, and this struggle for power and control have, have made you like bitter and jaded, Simon. You're, you're pungent and distasteful. And you're, and you're controlled by these sinful desires. Greed enslaves us every single time. It distorts us. That's why Paul tells Timothy that the, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because if, that, if that's the thing that we love, then we're never going to be happy. Now, many people have left the prosperity gospel churches when they don't get the health and wealth that they're promised. But some, hopefully, eventually, find their contentment in Christ but many just leave bitter and disillusioned. And Simon had the wrong idea about God and the Holy Spirit and Christianity. He claimed he believed. He got dunked. But his faith was not in Jesus Christ. It was in, it was in money. And the Holy Spirit does not work through magic for our personal gain resulting in bitterness. That's not God. 
Peter tells Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter. Your heart's not right before God. Repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter's advice to him is really simple. Repent. Repent of that that motive, that heart that's wrong. Truly repent. Like Be convicted of it. Be sorry about it. Ask for forgiveness for it. And then turn the other direction. And then, and then pray, pray to God about it. I, I, like, I don't know, Simon, who you were talking to before, but this time you need to go and talk to God, pray to God, the real God, the actual God. He's real, Simon. Go to him, talk to him. And Simon doesn't take Peter's advice. He doesn't, he doesn't deny anything that Peter is saying, but he doesn't take his advice. I think what he does say shows that there's just a lack of, of faith in God or a continuing lack of understanding about what's going on. He, he's, he just tells Peter, please pray. You guys pray to God. You pray for me that none of those things are going to happen. Doesn't repent. Doesn't show any sorrow. Really, he's just concerned that, that the things that Peter has said don't actually happen to him. He's still, in the end, just concerned about himself. Simon's behavior here in chapter 8 is such a stark contrast to what we see in other places in the book of Acts. Really, what we see even in the first part of, of Acts. Which, which really shows us how the Holy Spirit does actually work. The Holy Spirit doesn't work through magic but works through the Word of God. Look again at verse 4. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. That was the key. That was the thing that they took with them as they went out. The Word of God. This Gospel of salvation. This information all about who Jesus was. Down to verse 12. When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. There's power in the gospel. And sometimes we think that what we need to have is like a, like a clever argument to refute people's objections or, or lots and lots of different information or all the answers to every question that anybody could ever come up with. But, But really all we need is a simple and articulate gospel message. A biblically based gospel message. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and while we were dead sinners, Christ died for us. And all who, who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts will be saved. The, the Holy Spirit has inspired every single word of the Bible. The Holy Spirit empowered these apostles to write down the Word of God for us so that we'd have it, so that we could share it. 
The Holy Spirit empowered Philip to go and proclaim the Word of God. And, and uh, authenticated that Word early on in the life of the church through all these awesome miracles. Poor Simon got hung up on those miracles. He thought that was the point. His, his focus was on the, the things that God was doing. And, and, and he coveted those. He wanted that. He wanted that, that magic, that power. But those miracles really were intended just to, to authenticate God's Word. They were, they were just so that people would be pointed to this message that we have. We just need to trust that the Holy Spirit will bless and empower when we share God's Word with those who need to hear it. I think the Word of God has more power than we give it credit for. That's how the Holy Spirit worked back then. That's how the Holy Spirit works today through the ministry of the Word of God. And, and the Holy Spirit doesn't work for the purpose of, of personal financial gain, but for the purpose of bringing people to salvation, right? That's the purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit for salvation. Work of the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't polishing us up a little bit. Uh, it, it isn't that, that He wants to come in and redecorate our lives. He's not going to come into your heart and dust it off a bit. He's going to rip that, that like hard, dead stone out and give us a brand new one. He's going to, he's going to change your residence completely from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. The Holy Spirit wants to, to change our family completely from the family of Adam into the family of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will take us as dead, spiritually dead people and do His work of regeneration and renewal and bring life through Jesus Christ. Now there's great personal gain to each one of us, but it's not money or power or control or even physical health in this life. It's not the things that Simon cared so much about. What we gain is something better, something much more important. We, we gain eternal life. We, we get this relationship with God forever. Complete freedom from sin. I think the, the frustrating thing, the sad thing with Simon is that he missed all of those things. He didn't see those things because he was so blinded by the temporary earthly things that his eyes were on. The end result of the Spirit doing His work in our life through the Word of God resulting in salvation, it's not going to be bitterness. It's, it's, it's not going to be this result of us being mired in iniquity. No, it's going to be result is going to be we're going to be filled with joy. Verse 8 tells us the result of the work that was done there in the, the city is that there was much rejoicing in that city. And that theme of joy and rejoicing is all throughout the book of Acts. It is a telltale sign that the Spirit of God has been there. Because the Spirit of God brings hope and life and freedom and total joy. 
Acts 2 talks about the early church meeting together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The church was and is and should be a joyful place. Not, not, not like this weird, somber funeral home. No, this is a place of life and hope and joy. Acts 5, it says that the apostles left after being flogged, after being beaten, rejoicing because they were considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. Often when, when the Spirit arrives, people rejoice. Acts 13, 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And just a few verses later, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Almost like those two things are synonymous. Joy and the Holy Spirit. Someone once said that the, that the opposite of Joy is, is not sorrow. It's unbelief. I, I think that's true. The Holy Spirit works through the Word of God for the salvation of the lost, resulting in joy. In the, in the classic Christian hymn, Joy to the World, uh, it was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts. And, and back in his day, uh, people didn't like new songs. They just wanted to sing the old psalms right from the Bible. That was the only thing that you were allowed to sing. None of this newfangled stuff. Uh, weird, huh? I know, I can't relate. Um, <clears throat> Watts got around this by taking some of those old psalms and reworking them a little bit and giving them a more contemporary uh, sound and, and feel and, and, and changing them slightly and Joy to the world is, is written from Psalm 98, which says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre, the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all in it, and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Amen. Let, let's do that. Let's sing together for joy to this God who has saved us. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this reminder of what You've accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You for uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, opening our eyes and helping us to see uh, the extent of our sin, bringing us to that point of conviction and sorrow over it. I thank You, God, for the fact that we don't have to try and atone for it ourselves. There's no way we could. But Jesus Christ has done all that work for us. Thank You for the truth that it's simply through faith in Jesus Christ that we're changed 
that we have now a new hope and a new life and a new joy. God, I thank You for what You've given us through Him. Thank You for this Christmas season, this excitement, this anticipation, this joy that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save the lost. Lord, we praise You. We sing joyfully for all that You've done for us through Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.